Okay, we're live. <laughs> no technical problems this evening, folks. Thank you so much for your patience. Uh, so we have a great um, program for you this evening. So let me introduce the program and give you all a little background before I introduce our guests. Uh, so welcome to What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean, a popular resistance broadcast of hot news out of the region. In partnership with Black Alliance for Peace, Haiti America's team, Code Pink, Common Frontiers, Council on Hemispheric Affairs, Friends of Latin America, Interreligious Task Force on Central America, Massachusetts Peace Action, and Task Force on the Americas, we broadcast live on YouTube Thursdays, 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. You can find us simulcasting on three YouTube channels, Popular Resistance Org, Code Pink Action, and The Convo Couch. Yeah, post-broadcast episodes can be found on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Tonight's episode, North America's Trilateral Summit, also known as the Trace Amigos Summit. We have three guests, uh, Marco Castillo, who is the co-executive director of Global Exchange, Alina Duarte, who is a journalist with Sin Censura, who will be joining us from Mexico City, and Jim Hodgdens, who is a Canadian journalist living in Chiapas now, and also, all of you probably recognize my co-host, Raul Burbano from Common Frontiers. So, Raul, say hello to everybody. Hello, Terry. Hi, Jim. Wonderful to be here again, like always. Thank you for having me. So, um, let me give all of you a bit of background. It's a little lengthy for uh, typical backgrounds for, for this program, but I think it sets us up really well um, for, the, for tonight's conversation. Um, the objective in having three guests this evening is to have um, a representative from each of the three countries, um, Canada, United States, and Mexico. So here we go. Uh, just a little explanation first and then some background. The North America Leaders Summit, which also is known as the Trace Amigo Summit or the Trilateral Summit of North America, is between the Prime Minister of Canada, the President of Mexico, and the President of the United States. The summits were initially held as part of the Security and Prosperity Partnership of North America, and that's a really scary sounding uh, organization. It's a continent-level dialogue between the three countries. It was established in 2005, and it has had various iterations since then. Uh, so regarding uh, January 10 of this year, which was when the three uh, leaders of state actually met, the summit start was actually the 9th, 10th, and 11th. Biden met with AMLO on the 9th. All three heads of state met on the 10th, and Trudeau met with AMLO on the 11th. So here's a little bit of background. The United States, Mexico, and Canada on Tuesday, January 10, vowed to tighten economic ties, producing more goods regionally and boosting semiconductor output, even as integration is hampered by an ongoing dispute over Mexico's energy policies. We've done a full episode on that, on energy policies in Mexico. U.S. President Joe Biden Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau met in Mexico City and pledged to beef up supply chains after withering serious, what, excuse me, weathering serious disruptions during the COVID-19 pandemic. Quote, we're working to a future to strengthen our cooperation on supply chains and critical minerals so we can continue to accelerate in our efforts to build the technologies of tomorrow right here in North America, Biden said in a joint news conference. Lopez Obrador said the region would promote economic development by creating a committee for important substitu import substitution to make North America less dependent on other parts of the world. The White House said the three countries would improve legal pathways for migrants and Lopez Obrador again urged Biden to press Congress to enact measures that would regularize the migration status of millions of Mexico citizens in the United States. Trudeau portrayed Canada as an original architect and the principal guardian of free trade on the continent, as he called for a new era of three-way growth 
and he called on would-be investors to take a leap of faith similar to the one NAFTA pioneers did in the early 1990s. So I really wanted to read all of that to everyone because it really doesn't sound good. <laughs> it really, I mean, it doesn't sound like anything really earth shattering or transformative. And um, and it, from, the, from probably US and Canada the most, I think there's things coming from Mexico that we can talk about that are trans, transformative and that perhaps the Mexican president is really pushing uh, for that. So where would you guys like to start tonight? Jim's joining us um, as a Canadian journalist from Mexico. Yesterday, uh, Raul and I uh, had a rec recorded a conversation uh, with Marco Castillo, and um, he gave a very, he actually is Mexican by birth and lives in New York City, and uh, we asked him to give us a perspective uh, from the United States. So maybe we should start with that. And uh, okay. So everyone, um, I want all of you to meet a great friend, fabulous activist, and um, someone who's been really supportive of our program. We have asked uh, him to come back and share the perspective on the trilateral uh, summit from a US perspective, but also uh, Mexico too. So um, I want all of you to meet Marco Castillo. He is the co-executive director of Global Exchange in San Francisco. You will find in the program notes the uh, the link to his social media as well as to the Global Exchange website. So Marco wrote a fantastic article in advance of the uh, Tres Amigos Summit that occurred in Mexico City on January 10, specific as to immigration and issues on the Mexico-California border. And that is a big part of his work as well. So welcome, Marco. Thank you very much. It's always wonderful to, be um, here, to yes. have you as a guest. <laughs> so honored to call you a friend and, and mm. partner in crime with activism. <laughs> so why, I, where's a good place for us to start here? Your article, let me, um, let me just tell the audience, the article is entitled Solving Immigration Starts with Helping Families Feel Safe at Home. And um, you're working on that multiple fronts. I guess we should probably throw out the Peace Summit, too, that you're going to be hosting in Mexico City in February. Um, so a big part of, well, maybe not as big of a part as we would like, of the mm -hmm. Tres Amigos Summit or the North American Trilateral Summit did focus on immigration. But I have to say, from my perspective, reading the news post-summit, not enough was placed on, on immigration. Right. It, it is it is pretty clear that uh, the, the United States of America has the singing voice when it comes to immigration. Unfortunately, Mexico has been just, you know, uh, kind of kind of, uh, you know, accepting everything that the U.S. have have been requesting. And uh, and this is no exception. Uh, days before the Tres Amigos Summit, the Biden uh, administration, Biden himself was at the Mexico-U.S. border. Mm -hmm. And and from there, he, you know, announced this new uh, expansion of, of uh, the uh, parole program uh, for Venezuelans to other uh, countries. And... Um, and it's, you know, it also announced that most of these uh, asylum seekers will be uh, sent back to Mexico, not even to their countries of origin. But but anyway, it's it's a sad reality. It's it's a bitter note uh, that came even before the Tres Amigos Summit. The U.S. once again 
trying to sustain Trump era policies that we thought that were long gone. They changed Title 42 to another new thing called Title 8, and they sustain most of the same restrictions. They expand a little window of opportunity, which is this parole that they offering for some countries. But in general, they are announcing that they will be sending to Mexico most of those migrants that are currently at the border or in attempting to come and in the next you know in the next weeks and 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 for the you know for the rest of 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 our lives i mean hopefully that'll change but that's what they're intending and so it's it's a dark cloud over the potential that a meeting like the tres amigos in 2023 one might think that could bring that's a good point, uh, Marco. I, I guess a comment is that, uh, you know, AMLO is a progressive leftist, uh, uh, you know, leader and has a lot of great policies, but it seems like he's kind of doing the dirty work for the United States around migration, you know, detaining migrants, you know, in Mexico. Um, why do you think he's doing that? Like, what is he, is he trying to get something out of it? Like, what, what would be, what would Mexico get out of it? Or is it just that they have no clout and they have no choice? <laughs> like, what, what, what is it, what is in it for Mexico? Are they getting something somewhere else for that? Yeah, well, you know, there's there's many things that are at the table of negotiations, and and unfortunately, I gotta say that uh, in the political background, obviously, one of the main things is that is that Lopez Obrador is is uh, not new in these things, and he clearly knows that he needs to keep a hand, you know, with the United States. If if he was to break with the United States, as many of his you know, uh, critical sectors might expect uh, he will be, you know, maybe facing a similar situation that the recently ousted president of Peru or or, or in Venezuela we've seen. Obviously, uh, the right in the United States is, is dying. It's anxious to throw a bunch of sanctions and threats to Mexico, and so and so he's been navigating these waters, and 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 so that's that's one of the things to take into account. There's very little room for Mexican governments in general. General to say no to the to the United States unless you're ready to go into a war, if not with the whole country, at least with with you know the the conservative sectors that can make your life pretty difficult. But it's not only that; it's also you know trade. It's the USMCA. There's many elements that the U.S. you know has to handle. And and in the moment that the that the Lopez Obrador administration misbehaves. Uh, it's it's a moment for where sanctions will start to come through and and you know like investments will be limited. So so he understands this this dynamic and he he's been playing the role of trying to be you know a champion for Latin American politics and at the same time he's trying to maintain good relationships with the United States. Those these things are very complicated because we you know as progressives wouldn't like to see that kind of bending, but at the mm -hmm. same time it's very hard to think that like we got to see that there's very little room and and finally i also have to say something that i that i want to recognize from the AMLO administration is that uh, there's many people who will be that are calling, including migration experts that have been calling that Mexico should not be playing this role and Mexico should not be taking and accepting migrants that want to go to the United States. Yes, I mean, migrants should go wherever they want to go. But at the same time, Mexico, it's a country of immigrants. It has changed its face in the past decade. And Mexico has to have in place the policies to welcome all, all people in our country and allow them for all of those who want to stay to find a job, get into school, have access to health care. And so that's for me, that's a huge question. OK, AMLO, you are accepting these terms. What are we as a country going to do to take 30,000 migrants and, 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 and be able to you know, provide them with housing? Because what's going to be really unfortunate is to keep them in the shadows and keep them in shelters under terrible conditions. And that's another story. And that's really, really, really a bad thing. The shelters are really more like warehouses. Literally. Absolutely, they're yeah. at capacity, and they're not—they're not government government run. It's not—it's no. not a public responsibility. They're run by civil society. Let me—you know—you've touched on um, jobs, trade. 
labor. And, and those are all things, particularly uh, creating the three countries, creating a unified you know, trade and a Trudeau actually called for something similar to NAFTA, which, you know, makes all three of us here just cringe to hear NAFTA, that term used. How much of this, and this is the sort of, uh, you know, a little speculation on my part, but there was talk um, at the summit specifically about the semiconductor trade or industry, yeah. Yeah. about making that a hemispheric. Uh, and there will definitely be a need for labor for that. Um, Canada and the United States are upset with uh, the Mexican government's decision to nationalize lithium and to start controlling the electrical production, you know, to have some of that natural resource sovereignty. The US and Canada don't particularly like that, specifically for foreign investment. But how much of this? is about creating an economic block. And I specifically asked this, Marco, in relationship to AMLO reconvening Salak after a four-year pause, hosting that while he was still president of Salak in September of 2021. So much of that summit was so many, it was foreign ministers and presidents and so many national representatives mentioned, hinted on, creating a an, an, uh, hemispheric economic block to engage with the rest of the world and using Salak to do that. It seems to me that potentially AMLO is the bridge between Salak, and Salak is all of the Americas with the exception mm -hmm. of US and Canada. Is he sort of the de facto bridge liaison between what Salak wants to do and being the person to integrate US and Canada to this? Or does he want two separate things, North America and the rest of the Americas? I mean, I think it was really clear, really clear during the meetings that um, AMLO was trying to play that role. And, and it's and it's almost an impossible game. I don't want to be pessimistic, but it's a really complicated one. The moment that AMLO, uh, you know, and stated that you know that the us that these were his words that the us should end you know its uh, history of of you know looking down at latin america yeah. of oppression he immediately found a wall from the from the us canada side Biden immediately responded by saying there's no such thing we we treat everyone as equal no one is investing in the region and in the world as the united states of america there's nothing uh, better that we can do so obviously uh, the Biden administration, and and I can say that Trudeau too, it's 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 uh, rejecting uh, a Latin American perspective on 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 you know on uh, for the for the U.S. and and Canada uh, uh, in, like foreign relationships uh, policy. So so uh, yes, I think that Amlo was very insistent and consistent in saying that this is about Latin America. This is a hemisphere that could be much more competitive. It could be much more united. And, and the United States was just dismissing that argument by saying it's it's the whole world. And we and we, you know, and we should continue to do it. And and Biden mentioned Africa and, you know, it's and, and, and try to play that game. And so uh, I, I think in the case of the of the semiconductors, I think that again, I think it's in the interest of the United States and Canada. I think it's also an opportunity for Mexico. We got to be really careful on how those that comes down to and 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 what that comes down to because you know if this means more bad like poorly paid jobs for for Mexicans and and you know like factories that are going to be uh, oppressing workers while the U.S. is going to take a cut in and you know selling and merchandising and the benefits of it. It's not going to be. It's going to be a rendition of that relationship that right. I'm trying to get you know away from and and uh and but but yes i agree that it's an opportunity and 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 latin america should should be more um like continue to engage engage and build i mean i you know i just asked listening to you speak as why you know i said it was just almost cringeworthy to hear trudeau you know reference nafta because yeah. 
all of us involved in Latin America solidarity work, and especially people like you and Raul, who, you know, uh, immigration and labor and on the, in particular on the U.S.-Mexico uh, border, I mean, that's just, uh, you know, it's a cringeworthy statement to look at wanting to expand or recreate that sort of model. But that's right. why I ask if these people are being deported and, and many, you don't necessarily nowadays get deported back to your country of origin, your home country, you go to Mexico and other Central American countries, you know, it's almost like they're creating a, you know, a labor force for themselves. Absolutely. I mean, I kind of hate to say that, but it's really what it seems like, especially now wanting to have a Western hemisphere semiconductor industry and Everything Absolutely. I wouldn't entails. be surprised if creating a belt of poverty at the Mexico US border or like a like a you know uh something like that also in, in Central America as part of the as part of the plan, of course. I mean, they've always talked about economic investments in communities and countries of origin to you know uh stop migration, but we always know what that comes down to. I mean, it always comes to bad jobs, more corporations coming in, corporations are trying to take advantage of natural resources while exploiting the the people and 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 their places of origin so so yes i mean it all i think i think that uh we as latin american uh you know uh communities and countries we should stay together continue fighting to make sure that none of this plans turn into more oppression but at uh, at the opposite you know it, it pushes forward it, it's something that it was good is that uh, the three countries agreed on on a 12 group of experts that are going to be exploring opportunities and and, and new you know uh, projects to integrate and further the integration of the region and and so this is a this is a win for for AMLO. I mean, it's like these twelve experts from the three countries are going to be looking to ways in which and you know integration can be further, whether it's like migration or 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 uh, labor or or uh, you know uh, education, and that's what AMLO has been pushing for. That we should we should be treated as equal. Mm -hmm. Historically, Mexico has been treated as less. He has been treated as the poor partner, as the back yard and we need to end that relationship and so this well this now thing, you're the front yard now mexico's the yes. front yard too i mean <laughs> that's what biden has said but then again <laughs> when it's been asked to treat us as equal then he says like well you're just like another partner you're not you're not part of the vip so so um that's that's what we need to continue to push absolutely but integration rarely, you know, includes people, right? It's always, you know, it's always marginalizing people from other yeah. countries. Integration is for corporations, it's for economic, it's for capital, uh, but never for people. And that's, you know, kind of we see in the, in, the in the militarization of these of these migration policies. But I guess uh, for me, it's interesting that, you know, certain countries are treated differently, obviously, politically. Uh, Cuba, Venezuela, uh, migrants from Nicaragua, they have, you know, they're going to get treated quite differently, when, you know, if, if they cross the border because, you know, they're, they're coming from countries that are considered, uh, you know, uh, totalitarian, according to the United States. But I guess the, the question we have is often when we're talking about migration, you know, we talk about when people get to the border and what are we going to do with them? Do we treat them humanely? Do we incarcerate them? Whatever. But we never talk about the conditions that create destabilization, economic uh, despair in countries that make people want to leave. Because most migrants don't want to leave their country. They want to stay in their country. But when the economic or political situation is destabilized for many reasons, uh, war, interference, uh, you know, people, you know, people migrate. So if you take a look at Venezuela, you never had a, a large migration of Venezuelans to, to the north until obviously, you know, the sanctions, uh, the same with other countries. Right? So can you talk a little bit about that and what that means? And was there anything discussed, which I didn't see in this Three Amigos Summit around, you know, ending that destabilization, for example, ending the sanctions, that kind of stuff? Absolutely. I mean, the answer, the short answer is no, nothing was talked about. And whenever it's been talked about, just like you said it, Raul, I mean, it's, it's, it's always the same. USAID investments, uh, this, jobs by by sending corporations to to the metropolitan areas and 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 there's no there's no talk about the u.s responsibility in the militarization of the region the proliferation of guns the environmental devastation that you know has caused for long canadian mining and 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 other u.s uh, uh businesses and so uh 
you know, like, just like you said, Raul, I mean, who, who would like anyone in the audience, just like I would encourage, you know, everyone to ask themselves, like, would you leave your home and everything you have with nothing in your hands to go to a new country? Nobody, nobody would do that. And obviously the crisis that we're seeing right now is a consequences. It's a consequence of the, of the, you know, regional, regional policies, because it's a, it's a trend. It's not a random community in, in one specific place migrating. It's the whole, it's the whole whole region, Mexico and Central America. We must not forget that Mexican migrants continue to be the first numbers, the, some of the first ones in migrating. So it's not only Central America. And, and obviously, as you said, whenever the window is open, it's just with a political uh, hook because it's Venezuelans, it's it's Cubans, it's Nicaraguans and, and trying to, you know, offer them uh, a way out of, of you know, like uh, not democratic countries, so-called. And and in reality, I mean, it's 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 uh, upside down. Yeah. Well, and it's Haiti now too, Marco. Haiti's been yeah. lumped in with yeah. uh, Cuba, Venezuela, and and Nicaragua. Yeah. And what what is that? And and much to our consternation or questioning, the Mexican government is supporting U.S. policy towards Haiti. Yeah. And yeah, that's really is, sad. It, it's. It's a conundrum to a lot of us, a disappointment yes. and a conundrum because there's so many things that we celebrate about the Mexican, the, the current government in Mexico. What is that uh, <laughs> about in your, I mean, I know I'm asking an opinion. I, mean, I know the underlying thing this. is gang violence. I mean, that's, you know. Yeah, it's, gang. it's, um, it's, um, it's it's something that we all ask ourselves because that's completely a, you know a contradiction from the Mexican tradition of non-intervention mm -hmm. in any you know foreign conflict. But it's also clear that it, as part of a of, of a you know binational negotiation, AMLO sees Dominican Republic as part of, of U.S. territory or, or the influence. It's not necessarily Latin America, and so he's 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 allowing the U.S. to take control of that and 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 following their lead and and you know and in in exchange probably probably for the respect of of you know what Mexico is doing uh, by supporting Cuba and, and other and other mm -hmm. uh, countries across the region so it's part of those negotiations and yes it's really unfortunate because that like you know Haiti and 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 DR are like exact examples of what the consequences of US interventions are yeah. and particularly Haiti it's a sad history of the US uh, you know, showing up, turning things upside down, you know, going against the will of the people, destroying their, 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 you know, their countries and their societies and then failing again and doing again the same. So, so somebody should be stopping that. And unfortunately, in this case, it's not in the plans of AMLO. Oh. Hey, Terry, are you there? Yeah. You're perfect. I'm here. Sorry, sorry, everybody. Just multi, no multi, multitasking my technical. So uh, for the audience, um, our conversation really went uh, yesterday, went into Haiti specific. And I'm going to clip that because it's uh, that Haiti section. I'm going to clip it out and and share it as a separate video because it's a great follow up to um, our uh, anniversary broadcast or uh, Independence Day broadcast um, on Haiti. So I just wanna just shout, give a shout out to um, Marco Castillo of Global Exchange. He, by the way, is the co-executive director of Global Exchange, which is based out of San Francisco. He lives between Mexico City and New York City. And we were just really lucky to uh, grab some of his time yesterday. So now um, we, I want all of you, well, Raul and I both want all of you to meet our wonderful friend, Jim Hodgson, who um, we've done a lot of solidarity work. The three of us, our work has principally intersected in Venezuela, but we've done a lot of work in Colombia together and Honduras as well, um, including solidarity work and election observation work. Jim has a fantastic um, resume that I wanna read to you if you give me just a minute. Um, because Raul and I are just, you know, so honored to be his friend. <laughs> so let me tell you um, a bit about Jim. So Jim is a Canadian journalist with extensive experience in Latin America and the Caribbean, Haiti too. So 
we should get you to comment on that, Jim. Um, over the past four decades, he has written for a variety of media and worked in the Dominican Republic for two years in the late 1980s and in Mexico for six years in the mid and late 1990s. There's that great NAFTA experience. Jim has also been involved with Common Frontiers, Raul's organization, and the Mexican Action Network on Free Trade. From 2000 to 2020, he worked with the United Church of Canada as Latin America Caribbean Program Coordinator. He currently is living in Chiapas, Mexico. And that's like, you just moved there, I think. <laughs> so you need to unmute yeah. yourself. Just a month now, yeah. Yeah. So we, I guess, Jim, you know, I met you as a as a journalist reporting um, on elections in in Venezuela, and maybe um, we can start with you as what do you see as a journalist? Tell us a little bit about your uh, Latin American and Caribbean journals because you've worked all over. I say Venezuela because I met you there, but as a, as your resume shows, it's much more extensive than that. What is your uh, journalistic? Uh, breakdown of of the summit now that it's over. We're not seeing a lot of it in the media. And in fact, Raul and I commented on that before we went live that, you know, there's very little follow-up. There was a lot of fanfare before the 9th, 10th, and 11th. And now it's just kind of, except for us, of course. <laughs> it's a, yeah. yeah, it's, 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 it's a curious thing. And I, I, um, uh, as a, journalist like trained as a journalist and even though I've worked kind of as a solidarity activist and used journalism skills uh, for the sake of solidarity uh, I do go back to to my training as a journalist and and you know ask well what is really going on here and uh, so over the weekend I was reading the the, the lead up to the uh, to the the summit and the and I, I felt like a lot of the writing was was poor it was uh, repeating you know talk lines from the state department or the foreign affairs ministry in canada or mexico and not like asking serious questions or hard questions um even on the immigration sets of issues um like one of the things that disturbs me is like uh, the president of mexico lopez Obrador, consistently raises development questions uh it goes to the the, the push factors why are people mm -hmm. migrating and even, uh, you know, Biden went to El Paso, visited the border on Sunday. Uh, but th there's never in U.S. or Canadian media um, questions about why people are migrating. And I mean, right now, uh, one of the big answers to that is the, one of the issues that brought us together, we three, in Venezuela, the sanctions against Venezuela, the blockade against Cuba, the newer sanctions against Nicaragua. Um, Haiti is a bit of a different question. We can come back to that, but it, but it's but it's related too. Nobody is talking about why people are leaving. Um, you know, it, we're not even talking right now about Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, which were the the three largest um, contributors to the migration phenomenon on the U.S. border. Another question: Why doesn't Canada step in to assist? Mexico uh, with some of the migration um, sets of questions like in uh, with Syrians in Jordan, they went into the camps and interviewed people and, you know, kind of skimmed off the cream. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a lot of Haitians sitting in Tijuana. Many of them are uh, well-trained professional people. Um, you know, so, I mean, I'm just saying, I, I don't know that that would be the right answer, but I am saying, why not ask the question? So the media before the 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 summit wasn't even asking those kinds of questions, and then so so then there was wasn't much coverage in Canada or the United States. I agree with you on that. In Mexico, there was more, and and I feel privileged to have been here the past uh, few days to sort of see how it gets reported in the Mexican media. Um, and again, there's like two two sides to this. Uh, uh, AMLO, uh, President Lopez Obrador, is in a constant uh, fight with uh, the right-wing media, the the kind of old mainstream um, Televisa, TV Azteca, uh, the print media that are their subjects or their allies. Um, they're, they're constantly criticize him over everything, anything, and 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 so the the other thing that happened over the weekend was the 
arrest of a prominent uh, drug trafficker um, in Culiacan. And, and so the, the, the media in North America said, uh, huge gunfights in Mexico, Mexico is dangerous, airports are closed. And without saying it's Sinaloa state, Culiacan city, some impacts in neighboring states, uh, Sonora to the north, Nayarit to the south, but but it was all, um, Mexico is screwing up the drug war uh, rather than, uh, and again, I don't know that this is the right answer, but rather than uh, looking seriously at what actually happened, uh, they got a guy who was uh, manufacturing fentanyl and exporting to that to the United States. They got one guy, I mean, the whole system is still in place, but. You know, so so I guess, I guess I just was like right off the bat, I was reacting to how the media were not covering adequately this potentially important event. And so, yeah, I hope we in the conversation we can come back to some of the the excellent questions that you were raising with with Marco, um, the relationship with the rest of Latin America, the, the 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 what's what's going on with the the proposals around intervention in Haiti. But uh, I mean, your well, you hand. should comment on that. You should, should comment I? on that because you okay. have so much experience in Haiti. So why don't you expand yeah. on that? It's super yeah. important. I, just just a little context. I, I, I started going to Haiti right at the beginning of my involvement in, in Latin America back in the 80s. So I was there first in 1984. Duvalier was still in power, the di dictator. Um, and then I, I lived in the Dominican Republic and went across to Haiti uh, in 87 during a time. So the, the dictator had fallen and there was a moment of this tremendous opening up of uh, civil society, the trade unions, uh, the students seized the cathedral um, and had like a teach-in for three days in the cathedral. Uh, the, the, there was this like effervescence in, in Haitian society. And I, I, you know, I could feel the energy and that energy three years later turned into the election of Jean-Bertrand de Aristide, the, the priest who was kind of one of the, the leaders of, of, a, of a sector in the popular movements. And, and so, so I was there in 1990 as an election observer and, and then the coup happened and then inter more interventions and, and everything that seemed like was being tried for good got subverted, I think, by um, an alliance between certain people in the United States and these six super rich families that, that kind of run everything. And those six super rich families are in league with the, the, the what are called the gangs. Um, they're, they're not that the, it's not that the gangs operate autonomously, it's that they are agents of people with more power and more money. Um, they do dirty work, but they're, they're working for others. And, and that, again, is talked about in Haiti but it never gets talked about in, in the, the mainstream media at all. So you get to the situation now where these proposals are being made, you know, uh, uh, hmm, some of the media, well, the Global Mail specifically, the Global Mail said, uh, Biden is asking Trudeau to lead an intervention. Um, and that's that's been going on for, for a few months now. Um, Trudeau seems to be uh, not jumping to that bait, which is probably a good thing. Um, and what may happen would be some sort of more technical kind of uh, intervention, like um, what they've done before, and it didn't work, which beefing up the Haitian police, but it, it, but it satisfies a political urge if it doesn't resolve Haiti's real problems. All of this goes on while there is a perfectly valid, and you've, you've already talked about this in this program, there's a perfectly valid civil society proposal, um, the so-called Montana group named after a hotel where they met, that's been on the table for more than two years um, that would get at uh, some of those issues around power and violence uh, and how to get to free and fair elections finally. Um, the last several elections have not been free and fair. They've been manipulated by, again, that, that rich sector. And you get these results that don't um, meet the expectations of the Haitian people. So again, uh, like around Haiti, taking 30,000 migrants out of the large pool isn't going to solve the problems. Uh, fixing the police isn't going to solve the problems. Uh, what we need to kind of go back to are, are the proposals that come from people's organizations yeah. that come together and talk about this stuff and come up with real viable proposals. That's where we need to get back to. So how do we 
how do we take that? Because certainly the audience watching this program knows that's where my work is. We come back to social movements, labor movements consistently. That is a consistent theme in almost every episode it comes up to. And Raul, that is specifically um, your work. And I mean, you know, I think at one point we were all talking that, Raul, you brought this up that uh, in our conversation with Marco, that this wasn't a civil society meeting. It was a meeting of heads of state. There was no, uh, there was no one at any of those meetings that was outside of the business world, the political world. There were no, uh, there were no indigenous people and their issues represented at, at this Trace Amigos summit. There were no labor uh, representatives. There were no women's issues brought up. It was really to me, came down to being a business summit, a, ne a continuation of neoliberal practices. And how do we do that specifically with Trudeau mentioning investment like NAFTA with interest in the semiconductor industry? Now, of course, most of us know that the lithium uh, in Mexico has been nationalized. There's a certain it's convoluted with the energy grid, but that is in the process of being nationalized. Mexico is really, for, is really focused on national sovereignty under this president, natural resource sovereignty, and creating an economy beneficial to the majority of its citizens. That seems antithetical to me to mm -hmm. the opinions and, does, and the wish list or the to-do list that Trudeau and Biden brought to the summit on January 10th. It seems that there's, and perhaps AMLO is, is trying to be the bridge between what he and other presidents throughout Latin America and the Caribbean want, particularly the newly elected governments. Um, most people throughout the hemisphere in the last 16 months did vote for those three things. Again, national sovereignty, natural resource sovereignty, and an economy benefiting the majority of the citizens. Exactly. Some of those economies are like one step to the left, social democrat, and some of the you know philosophy is is revolutionary left. It's a spectrum of of economies that people voted for, or the hope of creating. So, um, what really was this summit? And maybe maybe it really. I mean, nobody's really talking about it because it kind of, it seems to me, and I say nobody's talking about it now because there really did seem to be this, you know, choka between AMLO and what his vision is and what he seems to be at least standing firm and then what the other two North American countries want. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, I, I think what AMLO has proposed and and I think it's uh worth more serious consideration than has got certainly from the United States or Canada is is a kind of a development uh, a new kind of development but better development than the past um in uh certainly in Central America but but I think the same prescription could be offered elsewhere um you know it would be a, it would have to be a people's led development the the kind of conversation that they had at the selac meeting in mexico city yeah. uh, almost a year ago you know that that to September me September of 2021 is that when it was yeah, yeah. it was mm -hmm. um, yeah yeah so uh it uh that that kind of approach is i think closer to amlo's heart now he had to i agree he had to um live in a conversation where where Biden wanted to talk about migration and uh and uh Trudeau wanted to talk about energy and uh and Trudeau with Biden kind of had only one thing on his mind and that was the um this whole thing of uh the US industrial strategy you know so so this kind of uh buy american or or buy at home and and like one other thing that was like completely overlooked was that the Mexico and Canada had a a bit of a victory over the United States in one of those um, uh, trade um, 
God, I've, the the proper words here the the, the trade arbitration panels uh, exactly over that uh, U.S. protectionism um, and, and uh, but you know you you look in vain for reporting of that in in uh, North America it, it is in the Mexican media but not in the, the North American media but again so so like I think for for Mexico and Canada always dealing with the you know what Trudeau's father used to talk about the elephant um the elephant in the bed he said uh it's like you're dealing with the united states the massive power of the united states the economic power um so i think from trudeau's perspective he went in like with a kind of a minimal list and uh and amlo uh to to avoid deeper conflict um and uh and they both i think they both kind of came away with um at least things didn't get worse. Uh, so I, I found it interesting. Like AMLO's uh, rhetoric with with Biden was really interesting. Like reviving the the 1930s Roosevelt's uh, good good neighbor policy um, was interesting. But Biden immediately responded with this: uh, "We're the we're the largest aid provider in the world." But a lot of that aid is military aid, right. <laughs> and yeah. yeah it's, it, <laughs> It's not, not what Alma was talking about at all. Like so, over 70% of its military aid. Yeah. So, so, so is Amlo is being naive or is he is he sort of not getting the sense? I mean, it seems like he's trying to play both sides. You know, he wants sort of Salak and that integration, but Salak has a very different vision of yeah. integration in Latin America than the North American integration that the Three yeah. Amigos is proposing. And, you know, obviously Amlo's trying to play both sides, but, you know, I think it's going to become quite difficult for him to continue in that. And I think, Doing things like, in my opinion, throwing Haiti under the bus in order to acquiesce the interests of Canada, the U.S., I think is, is a real problem. And I think as you know, the Cold War heats up in Europe, and we see that there's you know that that economic hub that we're building in North America, you know, the economic, political, and social, it is really, in my opinion, a way of kind of cutting out China investment and you know Russian investment in the region. And I think that's going to come to a head pretty soon where, you know, Mexico probably will have to make a decision because at, at the Salak meeting, they had the Chinese president there virtually. And it was really about how yeah. are we going to integrate, you know, Asia, you know, the Asian investment in the region. And I think it's going to have to come to a reckoning because pretty soon it's going to be like, you cannot do that. You're not going to be able to sell cars in the North American market if they have any kind of Chinese investment, if they have any kind of. So I think he's going to, you know, he's really needs to make a decision or figure out where he sits. Is he either sitting at Salak table or is he sitting in the, you know, Tumsa North American trade table? And because they are two very different tables and they have two very different agendas. One is militarization, I think, as you said, and the other one is really about regional, economic, and political and social integration. Genuine, anyways. Well, yeah, you you know, I, I think uh, we all kind of stand in, in one one place in that uh, that conversation. You know, for for like like each each country needs to be able to be free to make the choices that it. That are good for for its people. I mean, right now uh, there, there's uh, some initiatives by Russia in Africa that that the United States doesn't like, and I think that's why Biden Biden mentioned Africa specifically the other day. Um, and you know, so 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 at the same time as there's this sort of U.S. the U.S. still talks about globalization, but what they mean is um, U.S domination of the global economy and trade uh trade routes uh trade patterns and so on and but this the the BRICS agenda is still very very much alive the silac agenda is a different one and um so the a multilateral world or unilateral world uh we're we're in that um hot and heavy debate right now uh and my my Fear is a bit that the um, that the U.S. will force will will use will keep trying to force other countries through through trade rules or sanctions or what have you to follow its line um, almost at any cost and uh, rather than allowing. Uh, uh, rather than being a good neighbor, uh, recognize that Latin America is not its backyard or its front yard, it's its own yard. Each country <laughs> is sovereign. Um, yeah, be you know, a good neighbor, is, respect people. 
Yeah. This is, I think that, um, you know, you're talking about neighbor, just what makes me think of fences. And, you know, there's yeah. a 3,000 mile fence, a border wall, uh, you know, a line on the map between the United States and, and, uh, and Mexico, or even, you know, goes right through North America, Mexico, uh, to the south of US and Canada. And sometimes we don't take that into account when it comes to, you know, economic, military, foreign policy issues. You know, Mexico has a different uh, place, literally, on the map where it sits compared to countries further south. And, you know, when you have a neighbor as uh, as aggressive as the United States, there's a just that you know that you can't help but define your politics unless you know you're really prepared to do something really really aggressive so you know AMLO has that to contend with he can't just ignore these two countries to the north he does and I agree with you Jim and I would say again I know I've shared this with all of you watching I've shared this a, this a couple of times that Salak summit in Mexico City uh, September 18th, 2021. It's on YouTube. It was five hours plus in length, I think one full day. Yeah. It's really, really uh, some good viewing to see where so many presidents and foreign ministers stand. And I would say with the exception, even, even the right wing ones are unified on some of these trade things and on health things as well. There were a couple right wingers. I think Uruguay and Paraguay were real yeah. Uh, holdouts real almost nasty i would say in their comments but there is an integration that already exists i personally feel it's a latin america's integrated to a degree i've never seen in my lifetime mm. principally based on on humanitarianism and that coming out of the lack of response to COVID-19 specifically by the United States, but the global North in general. But, you know, when you sure. have such a huge prosperous nation to the North of you and you get very, very little to no assistance, that really made everybody sort of relate to each other in a, in a, in a way I haven't seen. You know, it's beyond politics now to a certain degree. It's beyond politics, it's beyond economics, and, it's, and there's that humanitarian a variable mm -hmm. in in the relationships between the Latin American and Caribbean countries now, with the exception of how people look at Haiti. And we Haiti always gets thrown over the bus. That's a whole nother convert, a whole nother conversation. But um, yeah, there there's a there's a different um, there's a there's a, a there's different feel in the air. Yeah, and uh, I think you know I, I had a quick look at. Um... Oh, an Argentinian newspaper today that I like, Pagina Doce. Uh, it's a bit like La Jornada in Mexico City. So, you know, fairly left. And, um, you know, they, they cover Peru differently. They cover Brazil differently. Uh, they, they go much more deeply into uh, what's driving, you know, both the right and the, the popular protests in, uh, well, the Peru case, the popular protests, what's going on in uh, Puno, Cusco, uh, in, the, in the highlands. Uh, and, uh, and, and then looking at, in, in the a fascinating article today, um, for somebody who's worked a lot of my time in the religious sector, um, a really interesting article about right-wing religion in Brazil and, and the, the presence of the that mindset in the people who assaulted the, um, the Congress uh, uh, the other day. Uh, just like you, I, I feel so privileged that I, I, I can get access to a much broader range of news news information than what comes through, you know, the CBC in Canada or even PBS in the United States. You know, you all know this too, um, but I, I really encourage people to to look as broadly as 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 you can for different voices, uh, uh, because uh, the 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 real the real news is what's going on in the the streets of Peru right now. The real news is what's going on, uh, like. Uh, Lula, the, the the newly elected president of Brazil. I mean, his response to that coup or a coup attempt, the takeover of the Congress, is to mobilize the popular movements again. You know, he goes to his base. Um, Amlo here in Mexico, uh, 
always says, you know, the, the mainstream media won't cover me, but there are these social networks uh, and people, you know, so WhatsApp, uh, whatever he says gets spread. Well, and he the- has those morning talks every single morning, oh, yeah. which Biden and Trudeau got a little bored with. That did yeah, come well, out in the media. They, he has like those he, morning talks on Twitter every morning. Yeah, yeah, I watch those not every day, but quite often too. And it's like, he gets criticized uh, for those, like it takes up a lot of time and space and, and maybe it gets a bit dull, but it's a way of being accountable um, with yeah. the people. And so he has, yeah. he gets his ministers up there and they have to say, well, this is what we're doing with security. This is what we're doing with the military. This is what we're doing with that Guardia Nacional. This is what happened in Sinaloa, uh, you know, and, and, you know, he asks them questions. They're kind of put on the spot. Wow, I would love to see other cabinet ministers uh, do that in in other countries with their with their boss. It, it, well, we saw. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Ronald. After you. No, I, I said it's also a great way of breaking through sort of that mainstream media that kind of controls the message, as you said, Jim, and, and is not really yeah. reporting on the issues or not in depth, anyways, and it's kind of very superficial. So it really allows. Like I, I was ta- interviewing folks for on the Peru issue and really in the, in the rural areas, it's the community radios that gets the message across because yeah. most people, many people don't trust the mainstream media anymore. They find that it's, you know, they're not doing their job. They're not covering issues critically. They're not, you know, they're not at, you know, at the events. Uh, and so, yeah, people are really, you know, going to social media, going to community radios, going to alternative media, just to be able to get and understand really what's going on in a lot of these complicated issues. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say, I'll say again, I think we did all see in the mainstream media that, was it Wednesday or after the the post-Trace Amigos summit where AMLO, you know, did one of his more, yeah, I mean, maybe it was Wednesday morning, did his talk and you could see Trudeau and Biden kind of rolling their eyes, just really not used to that sort of communication. Yeah. And, you know, and they do go on lengthy, but that's a style thing and, you know, and it appeals to to his his people um and so I, yeah it was just i mean to me that was just another just another contrast uh within you know the summit itself that that yeah. type of communication was anathema to these two other leaders they just didn't you know they didn't get it <laughs> And to me, that kind of summed a, a lot of the other things up. So, you know, you guys, we've been talking for almost an hour and our audience has been so fabulous. They've stayed with us. And a shout out to those of you on the convo couch. Uh, you've just been really engaged in the chat tonight. And I've tried to keep up with all of you. And can I just mention that all of the information for all of our speakers, including uh, Jim, who's joined us now, in the, in the uh, program uh, description, you know, when you click on and it says more, everything's in there, a description of the program, um, all the links for everybody's social media and, um, and links to uh, all the organizations that everybody uh, works for as well. So, and, uh, and a shout out to you, Karen, for, for helping me keep up with all of those links. So, <laughs> so I appreciate that. So what should we what should we share with the audience in our in a, in a, with a few minutes of, of closing? I mean, is this is this uh, is is this summit going to continue? Is it? I, I will just share my little quick summary. To me, it was a demonstration of old school versus new school. Jim, you said unilateral versus you know multi, multilateral. To me, it was a real example of you know old world that perhaps is fading or it's going to reconstruct as the international community or preservation of the West and this clear emergence of what's happening um, south of the U.S. border. Clear emergence of a new a new philosophy, new way of um, building the Americas. I'm curious just to hear a little bit from Jim around Canada's foreign policy towards Haiti, because I think mm-hmm. Canada plays a unique role in that. And I know, uh, Jim, you have a lot of experience in that. And I think Canada's role in Haiti is quite unique in terms of how it, you know, deals with it. And, you know, Canada's going to be sending military vehicles, training the police. It's always been making sure that, you know, popular democratic movements don't succeed in Haiti. So maybe talk a little bit about that and then whatever else you want. And then I'll just. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming back to that. I just uh, quickly, I mean, one thing that did impress me was like, 
I don't know, September, October, it was like uh, lead a military intervention, lead a military intervention, lead a military intervention. And then um, people like us and uh, the, the the Haiti solidarity groups in Canada protested. And, and it's kind of like some of the groups who were maybe divided 20 years ago or a dozen years ago are kind of coming together and they're on the same page right now and saying no military intervention. The government seems to have heard that. And that's why they're... Uh, talking now about uh, police and so on. I, I don't know that that's the right answer. I, I really doubt it, but <laughs> I know, I do know that the right answer is the civil society one. Like, let me be clear, the Montana group proposal. Um, that one, that's what we should be pressing for is like, listen to the voices of Haitian civil society. And, and the Canadian government still hasn't got that message. Uh, they're still on this police track. And I, I think they need to get off the police track and onto, um, Haitian-led uh, uh, solutions, proposals for solutions, yeah. because I think that's that's that 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 that, that worked in 1987 and 1990. Um, it could have worked again many times since then, but hasn't been allowed to. Uh, it needs to be. That's the key word, isn't it? Hasn't been allowed to. Hasn't been allowed to. Yeah. You know, the solutions that, that come from uh, Haitian trade unions and, and women's movement and uh, the, 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 the human rights organizations, um, the farmers organizations, those are the groups that, that I know well in Haiti. And they're, they're the ones that are uh, proposing, a, they, they call it a passarelle, like a, a, boarding, a boarding ramp uh, to get onto a ship. Um, like towards elections, that's what they want, and and I think they should be heeded, and not these uh, militaristic uh, solutions. Uh, the, the the that ultra rich group needs to be dealt with. The gangs will need to be dealt with, but the way forward to dealing with those issues is by hearing the voices of civil society. So, and somebody in our chat was asking me. This was quite a while ago. Up in the chat about what, you know, about solutions. And I think that's what I put in the chat, social movements. And thank you, Jim, for because yeah, it really is gonna, it's gonna be us people that make do. the change. Haiti, Montana group uh, in Google and you'll get the uh, civil society proposals fairly fairly easily. But yeah, we have it's also very clear. Yeah, I'm sorry, Raul, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead, Karen. I'm gonna say we both, have uh, I mean both Canada and Mexico support at least in general terms U.S. policy towards Haiti, and uh, that's the so the, and what's the link again, Jim? Haiti, Montana. Yeah, like look for in a search in the search mode. Just look for Haiti, Montana group, uh, or yeah, or Haiti, Montana civil society. Uh, that yeah, you'll you'll find uh, proposals there, and I, I could send okay. you. I'll put it in the chat. Oh, I could send you a decent article about it later. Okay, uh, I'll share yeah. that with everyone if you do. Yeah, that's okay. So, so Raul, I inter I inter uh, intervened. Yeah, no, no problem. Uh, I think you know my analysis of this. It's it's pretty much a lot of the same old. Really, I, I have I didn't hear much. It all sounds really good on paper. If you look at the working plan that Canada and Mexico put together, it's reconciliation with indigenous people, uh, gender equality, women's empowerment, anti-racism, all these really great sounding documents. But the reality is, you know, uh, Canada needs an independent foreign policy from the US and it has to be focused on, you know, human rights, labor rights, but also democracy. We, are, we have stopped supporting democratic social movements in the region. And we really want to support only democratic processes that benefit our economic and political interests. Okay. And a perfect example are, you know, countries like Peru, right? Is, you know, if you get someone who overthrows a government that we think is too leftist, is corrupt, whatever, as long as that current government is to our uh, political economic interests, then we will support. Um, so I think that's where we're. You know, there was no talk about democracy, real democracy. If there was, we would be supporting civil society in Haiti. As, as Jim said, that would be the key thing. But that's exactly what Canada, the U.S., they don't want. I, I won't speak for Mexico because I know they have a different vision. But really, that's what they don't want. They don't want civil society, popular movements controlling the economic and the political agenda of these countries because they know that won't equal, you know, investment rights. It won't equal uh, corporate rights, which is what Canada and the U.S. really are pushing forward uh, in these trade, in these kind of regional integration talks. 
And so for me, it's a, a lot of the same, of the same old, same old, nothing much has changed. And it all sounds great, but in reality, it's the same interest. Militarization, corporate interest, you know, capital flows. Uh, that's really the, the most important components for Canada, the US, and to some extent, Mexico, unfortunately, as well. Yeah, this goes back to what, what, what we were saying at the at the outset and, and with, with Marco is like looking at uh, causes of, of migration. If, if migration is Biden's big problem, then he needs to have a different approach to Haiti. He needs to have a different approach to to Venezuela uh, and Cuba. Uh, he needs to have a different approach uh, around development. He needs to get rid of the sanctions. He needs to support um, civil society proposals that, that that would employ more people um and guarantee them better better salaries than uh these uh semiconductor supply chain things that they are addressing you know it's just we can do this Which is better. basically just more on the war against china <laughs> taking, yeah, that's, taking that's, that part of their economy away from them and bringing it home yeah yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, can i um just throw out real quick you mentioned you know marco and immigration and for the audience uh, Marco had a great uh, article that he wrote was published in Newsweek on the 7th or 8th, so a day or two before the Trace Amigos Summit started, and it is called Solving Immigration Starts, and this follows right up on your comment, Jim. The article is Solving Immigration Starts with Helping Families Feel Safe at Home, and that is educationally safe, healthcare safe, violence safe, all of those things that we associate with, you know, uh, a secure and and um, form of a quality, a quality life, and, and the article goes into all of that. That also um, is in the program notes. The link to that article. So, so um, maybe we should wrap it up. And uh, I'm so. Um, I'm so thankful that all of you were able to join. It's always fun to co-host with Raul and Jim. Just what a um, what a delight to finally see and talk with you. It's been so long. So yeah, yeah. Well, just we'll I'm really glad to join us. We'll have to find each other in Mexico City sometime. Yes, absolutely. Yes, sure, I'll I'll let you know. That'd be great. Okay. Yeah, we'd love to see you there. So, and then also a big shout out to uh, to Marco Castillo of Global Exchange, um, who graciously gave us, uh, Raul and I, his time yesterday. So everyone, thank you for joining a really great chat uh, tonight. So um, I really appreciate you tuning in and, and being engaged on all these uh, issues um, throughout Latin America. It's really nice to have a space uh, and a real shout out to the Combo Couch for letting us join their YouTube channel of, I don't know, I think there's almost 50,000 of you subscribers. And wow. it's really nice to have a space where we can go into some of these issues in Latin America and the Caribbean in depth and, uh, and from a non-US mainstream perspective. So really, really thankful for that. And for our uh, uh, the other YouTube channels we have access to, Code Pink Action and Popular Resistance Org. And of course, to all of our broadcast partners, um, and let me just read them out to all of you again. Um, Black Alliance for Peace, Haiti America's team, Code Pink, Common Frontiers, Council on Hemispheric Affairs, Friends of Latin America, Interreligious Task Force on Central America, Massachusetts Peace Action and Task Force on the Americas, and Popular Resistance for um, Housing, uh, our project, and, uh, and allowing us to work with all these terrific broadcast partners. We have a really wonderful uh, coalition uh, built around this project and um, and everyone contributes so enormously and and uh, Common Frontiers with Raul Burbano is one of those partners. So, so everyone, thanks for tuning in and please be sure to um, watch us next Thursday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific. And uh, you can also uh, catch the audio as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Google. So, uh, so we'll see. Thank you, you very much, Terry. Um, thank you. We'll see you all next Thanks, week. Thanks, Jim. Bye. Thanks. Take good care.